Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards Investigate. I've got Doug James here with me as always for this episode. Some of you might be wondering, wait, what's going on? It's not the weekend. It's normally a Saturday morning show. Good observation. Uh, So basically when I was mapping out the shows this week and looking at the actual alignment, on certain weeks, we might be too weekend heavy, whereas we'd like to have most of the shows during the week so you can listen during your commutes, in your offices, during your normal routine. So I'll go over this one time. You guys will probably forget it. But if the Red Sox series ends on a Wednesday during the week, then that will mean we will release this show on a Saturday because we're going to have two shows in between. If the series, however, ends on a Thursday, we will record on Tuesday night and then it'll be available on Wednesday morning. So it's going to be a varied schedule for this show. And basically from here out, I'll just tell you when the next one is going to be. And I can already tell you for next week, it's going to be a Saturday release. So... We're in the middle of this week recording. We'll be recording at the end of next week. So look for that show Saturday morning. Sorry to confuse you. I probably should have been a little more proactive and written out the schedule and actually looked at it, but uh, too late. So, Doug, how are you? I'm good, Terry. How are you doing tonight? Not too bad. We uh, thought we had a show mapped out, and then Tony LaRussa decided to set the city of Chicago on fire. And that happened uh, today, and um, or at least most of the, the quotes were released today. And uh, so we're going to uh, dive right into that. We're also going to talk about Pujols again, because he has a landing spot, and then we'll end it bashing the Yankees, which is always an appropriate way to end a show. Uh, So the controversy in question in Chicago uh, took place last night in the ninth inning. The White Sox were up 15 to 14, two outs in the inning. They were playing the Twins. The Twins had a position player on the mound, which is not unusual when a team is ahead by a double-digit score. And your mean Mercedes was at the plate with a 3-0 count. And Tony La Russa, being the old-school 76-year-old manager he is, wanted Mercedes to abide by the unwritten rules of the game, the old school unwritten rules of the game, and take the next pitch without swinging at it. But instead, apparently, Mercedes didn't get the sign and then ended up crushing a ball to dead center over the center field wall. It was a home run. Tony La Russa was irate. Now, before we get into the controversial comments Tony La Russa said, I want to tell all the casual fans who your mean Mercedes is. He's had a very unusual path to the majors. He's 28 years old. 
which is old for a rookie. For perspective here, Rafael Devers came up when he was 20, and he's going to be a free agent. He's going to sign his first mega deal no later than age 27. So you have Mer- your mean Mercedes a year older than that as a rookie. And he spent nine years in the minors. He was signed as an international free agent by the Washington Nationals in 2010. He then spent 2011, 2012, 2013 in the Nationals Dominican affiliate summer league and was promptly released by the Nationals at the end of 2013 after three seasons uh, in that league. You got to be a pretty bad player at that time to be, because that's not even, most fans are familiar with single A, double A, triple A. This is even lower than that. He spent three years in that Dominican League and then was simply released. 2014, the Baltimore, or no, excuse me, I jumped ahead. 2014, he spent a full year in the independent leagues playing for three separate teams. And then at the start of the 2015 season, the Baltimore Orioles signed him. And he spent that season with their low single-A team, the Del Marta Shorebirds, if I said that right. 2016, he remained in their organization, uh, started the season with the Shorebirds, and then moved over to the Frederick Keys, which is their collegiate summer league team. In 2017, he was promoted to Baltimore's AA Bowie Bay Sox team. At the start, at the end of that year, 2017, he was selected by the Chicago White Sox in the minor league Rule Five draft, and then from there, spent the 2018 season in uh, with Chicago's High A team, and then in 2019, split time between the Double A and Triple A teams in the Chicago organization. He was called up for one game in 2020 on August 1st. Had one plate appearance, which was a late-inning pinch hit appearance in which he grounded out. That was his only plate appearance for 2020. He went to Chicago's uh, 2021 Spring Training uh, League, hit 277, had a 333 on-base percentage with a 340 slugging percentage. He made the team, the big league team, at the start of the 2021 season with the White Sox, Antonio La Russa, due to a rash of injuries. I should also point out that Mercedes is a catcher, and their catcher is Yasmani Grindal. So not going to be seeing a lot of catching time, but he's basically spent the whole season in the DH position. He started the season 8-for-8. Eight Got eight hits in his first eight at-bats. And then from there, he continued to set the league on fire. On this very date, he is leading Major League Baseball in batting average. 364 currently with a 413 on base and a 568 slugging percentage. He's belted six home runs and had eight extra base hits. He's one, he's the best hitter in the league, and he's a 28-year-old rookie 
who was basically a career minor leaguer and lighting the league on fire last night, pissed off Tony La Russa by hitting a home run in that 15 to four game to make it 16 to four. So Doug, go ahead. What did La Russa say about that home run? So I have this quote from Tony La Russa. It says he made a mistake. There's consequences he has to endure within the family. He's not going to do that again. That's Tony LaRusso's quote. So this story absolutely infuriated me. So every nice thing I've ever had to say about Tony LaRusso, I will take every last word I said back. You have a White Sox team that is insanely talented, young, and so much fun to watch. And then you see in the dugout who the manager is. He's a 76-year-old dinosaur that has absolutely zero business managing a baseball team in the year 2021. The only reason that this is a controversy is because people like him that don't like having any fun. So what's he going to do? You're going to bench Mercedes, the guy who's hitting 364? You're going to bench that guy? This guy has a history of being an alcoholic who had an incident driving drunk, and then attempted to get out of it by flashing a World Series ring in a cop's face. Who is Tony La Russa to say anything about anybody or to judge anybody? This story is absurd, and it just it bothers me. I don't what, – what are your, some of your thoughts? Because it's <laughs> infuriating. Well, on the last episode of the Bastards Investigate, we were talking about how they had one of the best records in Major League Baseball, and we were kind of expressing some support of Tony La Russa. It would have been a cool story had he come up and won over this young team and then went on this magical run into the postseason. So we, we had some nice things to say last week. We also pointed out some controversies he's had. I'm not going to go into them all, but he left he left uh, Lu, uh, Lucas Giolito in too long. Michael Kopech, 87 pitches in his second outing. He mixed up uh, an extra innings rule with the base runner on second. He's had a rough season so far as a manager, and he's drew a lot of ire from the media. And after today's comments on your mean Mercedes, there's no defending this guy. There's absolutely no defending this guy anymore. And the mindset he should have had when he came in, he should have been a a little laid back. He should have came in kind of humble, knowing that the game has changed a lot in the last decade. Some of the old unwritten rules aren't honored anymore and really not relevant. He should have came into this season with the mindset that he had some stuff to learn about how the game is played today, some of the new trends and what the players are. Like every player on on these teams, they're basically millennials at this point. That wasn't necessarily the case in 2011. Maybe maybe some of the younger players were of of that generation, but, but not Yadier Molina, not Adam Wainwright, not Albert Pujols. So he should have came in with that mindset. 
And he's kind of lost the team. There was that tweet from from Tim Anderson taking a shot at Tony LaRussa. I'm pulling it up right now. He says to LaRussa, he says, the game wasn't over. Keep doing you, Big Daddy. So his own players are now punking him out on Twitter, which did exist in 2011, but wasn't nearly what it is today. And I'm just going to say it right now. It would basically be unprecedented. But if I'm the Chicago front office and the owner of the Chicago White Sox, I fire Tony La Russa this week. I try to minimize the damage. And we can get into it in a second. I don't know who uh, an appropriate replacement would be. We kicked around a couple of names for the Mets. I'm not sure that's quite uh, the same animal as the White Sox here. But if if I'm the White Sox, I move on. And the reason I say this, we're John Farrell survivors. And... He probably should have been fired in 2015, but he got cancer and the optics weren't great. So he got to stay for 2016. I had this sense of impending doom all year long. When they got to the postseason, he was going to get the wool pulled over his face by whoever the opposing manager was. And we were going to get bounced. That basically happened. We faced the Cleveland Indians that October against Terry Francona. We lose a tough game one with Rick Porcello. Nothing on Farrell, really, but game two, David Price is having his normal meltdown, but the game's still in check. This was my, this was my, it's over moment. This was my, we've got no chance against the Indians moment. When Mike Napoli, who was their first baseman that season, straight up stole second base on David Price who was a lefty and was looking right at first base. Mike Napoli stole. I was like, that's it. This team isn't locked in. The manager doesn't have them where he needs to be. And what happens? He gets he gets retained for 2017. And then we had the Machado-Pedroia controversy, the Eckersley controversy on the flight. You knew by September there was mutiny in the clubhouse. And it was the same thing all over again. Yeah, the Astros were cheating, but we weren't going to beat them regardless. And the right thing to do that season, right after the Eckersley incident with David Price on the charter plane, was probably to get rid of John Farrell. The move I would have loved to have seen was Jim Leland. He only, it would have been an interim thing. He had just managed Team USA to the win in the base, the World Baseball Classic. He could have just finished out the season, and I think the team would have had a different vibe going into that playoff run. And we were a first-place team, but we knew it wasn't going to end well. And if White Sox fans are smart, if that front office is smart, and their owner, who it's probably impossible to imagine he's smart, but if he has this epiphany, they they ought to do damage control while it's still relatively early, while a new manager can come in and kind of 
get sorted out and get this team where it needs to be to go on that playoff run, they should do it. They should do it because this entire year is going to be a circus. It's going to be a circus. And it's going to be worse than the 2012 season that the Red Sox had with Bobby Valentine. They need to fire Tony La Russa. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Joe McEwing is a bench coach. You could fire La Russa. You could promote him. The thing about it is the players are all going to have Mercedes back. None of them defend La Russa. Uh, La Russa doesn't even have that many backers in the front office besides the owner, who's not an intelligent human being at this point. I don't know. He was back in the day when he you know, did his thing with the Bulls, but whatever. But uh, I don't know where they're going to go from this. I feel like this is going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back with this with this uh, with this club and these players. It's unfortunate because they're a very talented team. Like I said, a ton of talent. They're fun to watch. And then you got this seventy six year old dinosaur dragging them down. And it's I hate to see it because I feel bad for the White Sox. I feel bad for the players. I feel bad for the fans. I feel bad for them because this is unacceptable. Like I said, he should never got the job in the first place, and he cannot continue managing this team. And if, like you said, I would fire him today, it probably won't happen. It, it won't happen. But you, damage control is done. There's no, you're past that point. It's over. You have to. He has to go. I agree, and I'm struggling right now. I, I guess you could promote from within, like you said, make the bench coach. Maybe they can take a look at their third base coach, first base coach. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I, I love Buck Showalter. I don't know that he's the right guy for that position. He's got a really strong personality. I think that would play well with the Mets. I think the Mets kind of need that strong personality. With the White Sox, I... It's tough. It's absolutely tough. Joe Girardi has a strong personality. He could probably pull it off in in Chicago, you know, if he weren't with the Phillies. But he would be the exception. I don't. I don't know where you can go with this. All the candidates I can think of are old. Mike Sosha probably doesn't work there. Um, Ron Washington could and I know you mentioned him with the Mets and he's he's remained in baseball. He's a coach in the Oakland organization right now. He's been with Atlanta. I think he could come in and and be the soft touch. I think a guy like Tim Anderson would would respond well to a, a Washington type guy, but they need someone that can come in and basically be a player's manager. So some of the names we kicked around just aren't it but like i said maybe maybe they promote from within but this year is not going to get better he's already i had already resigned myself a week ago that he was never going to win the media over he was never going to win the local radio people i just they need to admit they're wrong and make a move, and by they, the owner. They could have had A.J. Agreed, 1,000%. They could have had A.J. Hinch. Could have had Alex Cora. Could have had Alex Cora. Possibly. Absolutely. Yeah. You imagine Alex Cora with this team? Yeah. And (laughs) let Let me also hammer this home before we move on to Albert Pujols. This is a team, like we said last week, that can win the World Series. 
They can win the World Arguably Series. Arguably the favorites. And they're going to... Arguably the favorites. They're going to light it on fire with Tony La Russa and crash and burn. I just... Third. I don't understand. Absolutely absurd. I don't. And again, I heard the Twins announcers too. Did you hear the Twins announcers, what they were, what they said? They were against it too. Let me say this. If a team doesn't like getting slapped around the ballpark, they get the offense out. You get paid too. Get them out. That's you a good point. You want to get by 15 runs, they get the offense out. And and to now, be I don't I don't care if you're down 100. I don't care. To to be fair too, players do need to respect signs in a lot of other ways. Like they shouldn't be taking a base if if there's no sign. If there's a hit and run and they blow it, that's on the player. So signs are important, but in a situation like this, baseball is better if your mean Mercedes hits a home run. And yes. the the Padres had a similar controversy last year, not quite as bad with uh, yeah, with, Fernan- with Fernando Tatis hit with a three zero count, bases loaded, hit a grand slam. Jace Tingler, who I wasn't even familiar with before the hiring, I was like, <laughs> "What? Who's this guy?" Right. <laughs> and he, he's going to manage yeah. the Padres now. He made comments like, uh, "That's not how we should be doing things," and then kind of recanted those comments and and just kind of backed off and said, okay, okay, I get it now. Um, but it's just frustrating. There's no defending Absolutely. Tony LaRusa at this point. And I hope I I hope they make a, a bold, unprecedented move here and, and do what's best for that organization. And also let me point this out. I mean this was an organization that was so toxic. Chris Sale felt emboldened to slice and dice a bunch of jerseys, like specialty jerseys. <laughs> yeah, that's yep. just how. And then they they kicked players' kids out of the clubhouse. And Jace uh, Laroche, what was his first name? Adam. Adam Laroche. There we go. Um, retired because of it. It's just it's an it's an organization that has a lot of dysfunction at a lot of levels, whether it's the owner in the front office and the the front office between the players. So, all right. Um, The other... Sorry, just one more thing. Like we were saying, when an organization is this toxic and you hire Tony La Russa, you're you're admitting that you have no clue how to run an organization. They're just clueless. And... Show some, you know, show some respect to your players at this point and actually provide them with a guy that can actually help you win a World Series. Because right now, in my opinion, without this circus, you're the favorite. You you owe it to your players. And you right now are just spitting in their faces at this point. And it's honestly infuriating. And I feel bad for White Sox fans today. I do as well. They just went through a long, painful rebuild only to hand it to Tony LaRussa, a guy who didn't really deserve it. And nope. with the OUI that happened the day before his hiring, they had an out to to get out of that situation. They didn't do it. So I, I'm sure on this weekly episode, Tony LaRussa is going to come up again. So we'll, uh, we'll get into it then. 
This has kind of ended up being a rehash of the last episode. Just more developments uh, took place. We're going to talk about Albert Pujols right now. Last week, we reacted to his being designated for assignment. Since then, he cleared waivers, spent a day or two on the free agency market. A lot of speculation. There were reports that seemed to suggest he was very likely going to end back up in St. Louis. The popular theory was he would end up with an American League team simply so he could DH. But of all teams, the Dodgers stepped in and they only have to pay him the major league minimum, which is five or six hundred thousand, because he's he's already getting his angel salary, and where he was technically released, the new team doesn't have to pay him his old salary, so they pay him the major league minimum. A comparison of that, Pablo Sandoval, when he was released by the Red Sox, he played for the Giants and then now the Braves only on the major league minimum. And actually he was a free agent this year, so he might be getting more with the Braves. His um his Boston deal had expired, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So regardless, Dodgers, your reaction. Um, at first I was a little bit surprised. Uh, you didn't really hear much about the Dodgers. Like you said, you heard a little bit about the Cardinals kind of assumed maybe an American league team from the DH. So on the surface, it didn't look like it made a sense, but when you look at it, it actually makes more sense than you would think. Uh, the Dodgers now without, uh, Pollock, Bellinger and Sager, they already struggle against lefties as they're hitting 216, which is 26 in the league with an on base of 313. And they have 12, only have 12 home runs against lefties. And so while Albert has struggled this season, he's actually hit lefties pretty well. He's hitting 267 with an OPS of 857. He's got three home runs. And this signing happened before the Sager injury. So I don't know if Pujols was anticipating having this much playing time, but now with Sager being out, it looks like he's going to be playing a, a lot more than he anticipated. So it looks like it worked out well for Albert, who's going to see some at-bats. And I think it's going to work out well for the Dodgers, too. Um, he's going to add a little bit of depth there. Muncy can play second base. And Pools could play first, or you know, you could have Pools coming off the bench. So the more I looked at it and read into it, it actually made a lot more sense than I thought it would at first. What do you think? I agree. I thought it was kind of a weird move for the Dodgers, and I don't think had Seeger quite been hurt yet. Had he? Had he? No. No. So no. It kind of him before Seeger got hurt. Right, so it it kind of ended up making more sense a day or two after the signing because Corey Seager breaks his hand. So that gives you more flexibility with their first baseman, Max Muncy, because he can play second base, third base. They can put Gavin Lux into the shortstop position where Seager was. Lux had a bad game last night. I don't know if you saw that. Made, yes. made some, yeah, he did. He, he didn't play well. Yeah, he'll get it together, but it was uh, wasn't a good start. But with this now added flexibility, Pujols doesn't necessarily have to be a bench guy if they don't want him to. They can kind of give him some starts if they choose to. I would avoid that. I think their initial plan of pinch hitting against lefties late in the game was was the way to go. Um, that ball off the hand of Seager, they're saying a month, but hand and wrist injuries – don't always recover the way that they might 
you know, as far as what they project early on, it, it could very well be two months. And so we'll see. The Red Sox are going through that with uh, Arroyo right now, but he does seem to be um, imminently about to start some uh, rehab games. But the funny thing about it here is, you know, we were joking before the show where if it didn't make sense, it, it was could have been just a money thing. And we had the Red Sox, what, two weeks ago, come out with those yellow jerseys for the – you know, the, the marathon City weekend. Connect, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. were basically the Boston strong colors. And that was a money grab and they made a ton of money. And those jerseys are ugly. I, I'm, you would not catch me dead wearing one of those jerseys. Yeah. I don't know how you felt about it, but I, and in my mind, I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking it's, it's Heim Bloom's former boss that brings in Pujols and maybe he's thinking, Oh yeah, Heim, watch this. I'm going to bring in Pujols and we're just going to sell a bunch of jerseys. And apparently it's been a big hit, especially for the knockoff guys that like to just kind of make money with just kind of, like I said, knockoff type products. So so it was more than that. And it kind of is a fit. And if you're Albert Pujols, if there's multiple teams interested, you're you're getting paid the same no matter where you go. So you get to pick. And if you want to win a championship, if you want one more ring, who are you picking? Who are you picking? Pick the right team. Yeah, <laughs> pick the pick the Dodgers. Pick the right team. And we just got done roasting the uh, the White Sox, but Larusa came out. I think we said this last week actually, and said that there there was no way he was ever going to play um, in Chicago because they got Mercedes at DH and and then Abreu at at first. So, but he. He ended up – I don't know. Are you aware of any other teams or no? I'm not aware of any. The only the only thing that I heard was what you heard about the Cardinals, that he had reached out to the Cardinals to gauge interest, um, okay. which I assume the Cardinals probably said it's not a fit. And so – because I imagine if it was for – well, like you said, if it was the same amount of money, I think he probably would have went, went back to the Cardinals. But I, I guess the Cardinals probably didn't show the same interest. It would be my guess. Where are you going to put Goldschmidt? With no DH, so yeah, it, yeah, it just exactly. didn't it didn't make any sense. So, so he just happened to find a landing spot with the Dodgers, with a team that could get him another World Series ring, and good for him, I guess. He in his first game, he actually started at first base, nearly hit a home run off of Mass and Bumgarner. It died just before the warning close. track. Yeah, it was pretty deep out to, I think it was left center. And it was left center, yeah. And then he, uh, in his next at-bat with runners on the corners, he managed to punch one through the right side of the infield, kind of a cheap single, but it got the third base runner home. So he already yeah. kind of made an impact there. And that was a kind of a big insurance run. They were up 2-1. to one. That put him up 3-1. to one. I think they tacked on uh, a few more in the ninth inning, but... Um, so he's kind of made his uh, presence felt. Uh, a lot of people are wondering, he didn't accept a bench role with the Angels, so why would he with the Dodgers? And I, I think the, the simple response to that is that was his only option. And maybe he kind of had that, uh, you know, talk to Jesus moment and, and was like, okay, I guess if I want to continue, it has to be this way. Not only that, 
you have no chance of winning a World Series with Anaheim for the Angels. You got one with the Dodgers. So if I'm going to put on the put, you know, park my seat or park my butt on the seat in the bench, where would I rather play? I'm going to go to the team that has a chance to win the World Series. So good for Albert. You know, I absolutely no issues with me. The other thing too is if winning is really important to him, he's got to feel pretty stupid for signing with the Angels anyway. And we've we've already covered what a dumpster fire they are. So, so is he getting the last laugh here, where he's like, "Ha ha!" A little bit, I think so. Yeah, he's like, yeah. "You guys are gonna finish last. I might win a ring." And let's, yep. yeah. And this is the I'm last with the other LA team. Exactly. And people were like, "Well, he's just doing that because." he doesn't want to move, you know, he, you know, he essentially lives in LA. So, um, but yeah, but the, the Dodgers, I mean, where, who else do you want to play for? So, um, so good for Albert. He's gonna play for now. He could be DFA'd in a month though, if he's not hitting or a better option. Yeah. If they've got a minor leaguer that just goes nuts in the next month and has to get called up. That could happen. It's a win-win for the Dodgers because if he doesn't perform, you could just DFA him. You're not paying him anything, and if he if he's actually really good for you, it does you know that helps you. He can help you. So right. it's a win-win for the Dodgers. They're in a no-lose situation. Um, if you watched it too, there's a lot of people in Dodger Stadium tonight with Pools jerseys. So uh, yeah, there's a lot. I yeah. see a lot of 55 jerseys there. So they're going to embrace him, and I think it's going to be a good fit. Actually, like it, it, at first, I was like, huh. But then you think about it and you read into it more. I'm like, well, it actually did make a lot of sense for the Dodgers and Albert. It's funny how a month ago we'd just be sitting here trashing that contract. Oh, he's so bad, this and that. And then yeah. and then he gets DFA'd and we all suddenly get sympathetic and, you know, start rooting right. for him. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's weird how things flip. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, I guess we can wrap by just kind of getting on the Yankees here. They're kind of on a bit of a skid. I think they've lost three out of four or something like that. Maybe it's three out of five. Giancarlo Stanton, who's been one of their top run producers, one of their offensive spark plugs this year, makes his ceremonial debut on the injured list. It's a calf problem, which he has had in the past and it's kept him out for I want to say several weeks previously and he's dealing with it now they think he's going to be back in about a week and his IL stint is retroactive to the 14th so uh, he could be uh, eligible as soon as probably the 23rd or 24th um so what happens to the Yankees? And they just lost last night to Texas with Garrett Cole on the mound. Jordan Montgomery, not looking so good lately. Maybe he turns it around. I don't know. Corey Kluber's still pitching well. But is this an organization that's going to that's gonna be able to balance themselves for the rest of the year? I mean, I'm not sure. Um, this pitching staff – if you're a Yankee fan, that's scary a little bit. Tyon has been a disappointment. We agreed the other day or the last show we did that Kluber has been a lot better than we thought. Um, but this is the third year in a row that Stanton's on the IL. In 19, 2019, he played 19 games. Last year, the 60-game season, he played only 23. Now he's already on the DL or the IL uh, on the 8th of May. 
And I figured Yankee fans would probably would have thought this was only a matter of time that this would happen. Um, I think offensively, the Yankees will probably be okay. But that's then again, who knows if Judge is going to be on the IL tomorrow? You never know. That's the problem with this lineup. It's just those two big bashers, like they're going to be you could be on the IL the rest of the year. You don't know. Um, again, being a Sox fan, I said I'm not scared of the Yankees. Well, you can never just count them out. You know, it is a team you can't count out. And like you said, he was actually having a you know decent season. He did hit a little bit of a skid the last uh, few games. He, hit, he was three for his last 22. So he wasn't really hitting the last 22 games. I think the pitching staff is what concerns me if you're a Yankee fan. But this division is going to be close all year round. I don't see anybody running away with it. So the Yankees will be in there just like the Blue Jays, Rays, and Red Sox. So if I'm a Yankee fan, I'm not too concerned. But at the same time, again, you never know what tomorrow is going to bring with Judge, and he could be on it as well. So if I was a Yankee fan, which thank goodness I'm not, you know, if he's back by the 23rd or 24th, you just hope that he can stay healthy. You just got to stay a prayer for that to happen. So I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think you're right. Aaron Judge eventually will probably go on with some type of an injury. That's been the trend the last few years. Stanton still is. And even when Stanton gets reactivated, he's probably going back on it again at some point. Glaber Torres hitting only... 234 right now has been a defensive mess the last couple of years, just not playing well defensively. Gary Sanchez, his normal trash self, hitting well under 200, backup catcher at this point. Gio Urshela has been steadily good all year. DJ LeMahieu hasn't been quite as good as the last couple of years, but he's okay. Pitching Mm -hmm. is my concern because – Clark Schmidt, I don't think he's their top pitching prospect. I don't think he's pitching this year. He's got elbow issues. Davey Garcia, I, I'm i not even convinced is a major league starting pitcher. He's either not a major leaguer at all or maybe eventually a bullpen guy. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm just not sold, and they don't seem to have a lot of trust in him. And you're getting mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the wheel of fortune with guys like Michael King that they're starting in there. Domingo Herman made some starts early on. Yeah. These guys are fringe guys. And if a guy like Kluber goes down, they're done unless they want to make a move at the deadline, but they've tried so hard to stay under that luxury tax to the point where they just gave us Adam Ottavino for no prospects whatsoever, just to free up that 9 million. So I don't know that they're going to go over it and they're probably going to need multiple players at the deadline if they're going to have a chance to to win a championship. Never mind just make the playoffs. To win a championship, they're just way far off. So this is an organization I think Yankees fans are in denial. I don't I agree. I the, the I think the bottom's going to drop and Aaron Boone's not the guy. He's not quite a Tony Larusa situation manager, but it's hard to believe that the Yankees had that rebuild, which probably only lasted, what, three years? But they they had to do a lot of retooling, and they fired Girardi only to hand it to a guy like Aaron Boone, who, who who's never going to manage a guy, outmanage a guy like Alex Cora or Kevin Cash, even, as we've been seeing. So, I don't know. You can probably hear the train. I, I live near some tracks, so... 
that I'm not sitting on the tracks right now. Some Yankees fans might eventually be, and <laughs> some Chicago fans definitely are. But uh, Chicago yeah, fans are there now. <laughs> yeah, so we'll we'll keep the the New York circus uh, under watch, and we'll also have one eye on Chicago to see how that turns out. But we hope you enjoyed this episode and we will be back again a week from Saturday. So it will be a weekend show uh, the following week. So stay tuned for that. I'm sure we'll have tons of, of topics to go over, maybe a good controversy or two. And the regular show, Doug is actually going to be uh, going to be coming off the bench for the, the Thursday show. Uh, Thursday night, we'll be recording the regular show. And for the first time on the Apple Podcast platforms, uh, Red Sox Top 5 Deep Dives, which is a fun format. We can't wait to do that for you. So plenty of steady content coming up for basically the rest of the season. So be on the lookout for that. And the regular show actually will be available to you guys uh, on Friday morning. So we will see you then. Take care.